excited about the weeks ahead. Uh, for you ladies, excited about an opportunity for y'all with the women's retreat, our very own, I love to say that, our very own doctor, love to say that, our very own uh, Dr. Melinda Gann will be teaching on September, is it 12th and 13th, I believe that's right, and I really want to encourage you ladies to sign up for that. I've tried to wiggle my way into that women's retreat, but they said persona non grata uh, for obvious reasons, but uh, going to be a good time. I want to encourage you guys, you gals, to think about that, and excited uh, this morning, this kind of a tweener message, another standalone uh, that we'll walk through today, but excited about next week and the, the weeks ahead as we uh, go through a powerful book uh, called Ecclesiastes, just chock full, replete with ancient, relevant wisdom to, I think, the biggest, uh, deepest, uh, soul-wrenching questions of our lives, and so really uh, looking forward to that. This morning, I want to talk about something uh, that I love. Now, we all love love, don't we? Uh, we can learn a lot, I think, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on the wisdom of love, but we can also learn something from John, Paul, George, and Ringo when it comes to love, uh, when they declare, can't buy me love. Uh, you, you can't buy love. You can't, you can't earn love, but you cannot live without love. But we are some loving people, aren't we? I've listened to y'all. I've listened to me. And uh, we love a lot of things. We love meals and we love movies. We love ice cream and idle time. Uh, we love our pets and we love certain places. Um, we love shopping. We love social media. We love touchdowns. We love tailgating. We, we love weekends. We love weird reality TV. Uh, I took a truck, a U-Haul truck, for a couple of days to uh, Atlanta, and I made a commitment to listen to country music all the way there and all the way back. And we love country music, right? How can you not? Songs about a whiskey getting in your water and being drunk on a plane. I mean, this is good stuff, just good, wholesome stuff. We apparently love Starbucks. We love the endless array of customizable, caffeinated beverages. A whole lot of you, trust me, when I drive out on Lakeland, I can see uh, we love Mexican food, apparently, right? I mean, some of you are like, amen, right? I mean, when God created the three major food groups, tacos, enchiladas, and burritos, I mean, you're, you were like, we bueno, right? I mean, this good, just good stuff. Uh, the French, uh, they love their wine. The Swiss, they love their watches and their chocolate and their banks. Germans love their cars. Italians uh, love their pasta. Brazilians, they love everything. Uh, Southerners, they, they love their SEC football network, right? I mean, that thing's a needle to the vein. That was our first amen. Uh, our woo-woo in church was the SEC network. I mean, y'all, I'm sorry. Some of you that aren't in the game, I'm just sorry. But life has forever been altered uh, right here in Jackson, Mississippi and beyond, right? But we, we love some things, don't we? We are a loving people. I'm going to throw a weird one at you this morning. I love my church. Now, hold on a second. You're already rolling your eyes. Some of you saying, okay, okay, a commercial for this church. Well, let me, let me back up. Let me get the panorama, the 30,000 uh, panoramic view. I love the church. I love the, the church of Jesus Christ who said the gates of hell will not prevail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it upon this rock and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. I love the global church in all of his expressions. Do you? I, I love the church that, that meets in caves and tents and storefronts and schoolhouses, that meets in uh, great cathedrals with grand architecture. I love the church that has to meet underground for its own safety and livelihood. 
I have preached in a church of over 10,000 people. I have preached at a, a cowboy church, a rodeo church, where there were just a few people and several cattle and lots of manure smell. I, I love all the expressions of God's church. I have preached at a church this summer in Cambodia and years ago at a church in Croatia. I have been, I've worshipped in churches like you are this morning here. I've worshipped in churches in the Pacific Northwest, the desert south, Pacific Northeast, Northwest, Desert Southeast, the Northeast up in Boston, and uh, many, many times down in Key West, close to where I used to live for so long. I've, I've, I've seen the church and its manifold expressions, and I love the church. Some of you, no doubt, listen, uh, this thrills me to be honest with you. This isn't a, a Walter Payton stiff arm, okay? This is a, I'm, I'm drawing you in this morning when I say this, but some of you do not love church. In fact, you don't even like church. And let me say that if I've had some of the experiences that you've had, I, I could say the same thing, okay? I just want to authentically connect with you when I say that. And for, for some of you, church was a, a fight on the way to church. It was a fight in the car with your siblings or your parents. I mean, some of you learned to cuss on the way to church when you were, you were young. Your, your parents would be, they'd be all over each other, all over you, and then they would get out of the car, and they would say, good morning, God bless you, right? And church for you was, listen, church for you was a place where you couldn't be real. And for some others of us, uh, you, you worshiped at the church of the frigid air. And if God were to have wanted to show up, he would have had to have been approved by 17 different committees, and in all likelihood, his presence would not have been voted to be welcomed there. And others of you, church for you in your, your background, whether it's a way bygone era, distant in the past, or maybe not so far away, but church for you was just one big yawn. It just reeked with irrelevance in life. It was boring and monochromatic, and it just... It, God's presence was, was quenched. The spirit was grieved. Uh, unwelcome there. And you, you, you haven't seen a beautiful expression of a church as is happening around the globe when, when God shows up. Uh, the rich taking care of the poor. You didn't, you didn't see that. You didn't see uh, relationships that uh, were broken be, being mended back together. And God showing up in supernatural power and people getting real with one another. Man, I, I love the church. I, I love Christ's church and the, the rock that he's built it on and its, its purpose and its power and its influence. Honestly, y'all, I want to say it for a little bit this morning. I love our church. I love our church. I'm going to tell you a little bit why I do. I want to I read an email I got recently about a month ago. Robert, I made an unconscious decision to practice a little spiritual lethargy today. This was written on a Sunday evening. Almost without exception, I'm the consummate sermon note taker because my spiritual growth has strived, or thrived rather, when taking one, two, three, four bullet points and doing my best to apply them as I move forward as a believer in Jesus. Today, I granted myself a reprieve from, reprieve from this important discipline. So I left pen and paper at home. The deeper into your sermon, the more I realized everything being said was what I needed to hear and apply and more, more importantly, take note of. As you were rounding home with your bullet point, well, let me say this. By the end of the sermon, I noticed that there were many others to my left and right who didn't find it necessary to take notes. We got a church full of slackers. 
Or perhaps who have already arrived in their walks where listening is what they need. As you were rounding home with your bullet point takeaways, I happened to look ahead and notice Wesley. He's my 10-year-old. He had his journal, and he was furiously taking notes. His head was moving from the notes on the screen to his journal. He certainly didn't seem to care what others around him were doing or not doing. I don't need to assume why this is an important discipline for him. I know the way that you've taught him. I know what's important to him. My father died when I was 43, and I honestly can't recall the last time he hugged me. But I can recall never wanting to allow my father to hug me or to love me after he traded me for a bottle of whiskey at the age of 10. And for every year thereafter, from that point forward until his death, I never sat in a pew with my father. I never heard the word of God mentioned in our home. I didn't own a Bible until I was 29 years old. Those facts have never totally crossed my mind until you walk back to your seat after praying over people and with people. Wesley immediately put his arm around your waist and he never let go. In the sports world, that's what you call what I call a walk-off. If you ever doubt about how and if God uses you when his voice is silent, try to remember my story. If he was quiet to you today, I can assure you that he spoke through you into the lives of others. For today, it took him speaking through you and through Wesley to get my attention. Now that he has my attention, I know I can't have a mulligan with my own father. But he has provided me the opportunity and the privilege to worship with my grown daughter and her husband every Sunday at Fondren Church. With all that being said, there, that is a big responsibility. But after today, I hope that we both remember that life can often be learned from our children even more than our parents. And in my case today, I learned from your child. I love you, brother, and thank Wesley for the walk-off. Every one of us is in a battle with discouragement. Every one of us wonders if God is using us. Do you guys wonder if I ever battle with discouragement? I do want to remind you, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> but man, there are days it just seems to fall flat. You know this, but you keep coming back for some reason. But to know that God uses your frail and feebleness, and he uses a child. My Preaching ain't that good, and my family sure isn't perfect. But I'll tell you this, when we gather on Sunday mornings, God wants to do a work in you and in me. Whether you take notes or not, whether you feel like you need to, I mean, God wants to show up, and he wants to do something in us. And he's using our church, and I want to tell you something. He's using you guys. People come to church, you're in this arena, people come to church mainly because of the preacher or possibly the location or the worship style or something from their past, but they stick around, to, uh, stick around in a church if they have friends, friends who challenge them and friends who help them grow. And in this room, I know there's 40 or 50 of you that I owe a great debt of gratitude, at least that many, who you've created circles, you've been involved in leading groups where people can get out of lines that we sit in on Sunday morning and into rows. That man who wrote me that email is in, is one, is in one of my circles. And I, I see how he's growing, and he knows some of the discouragement and things that I'm up against as well. But I love our church. 
I love what God is doing here. And I love that it's a sanctuary. It's a safe place for some of you. And you're learning and you're growing and you're seeing the good news of the gospel get deeper into your life. How many times do I say it to y'all? The gospel is not just something that we preach to those out there. But we preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. I love our church because of its potential, because of its impact. This morning, I want you to look at Luke 12. Like always, I would love for you to flip open or turn on a Bible in front of you. That's always uh, helpful. But we're going to have the passages up on these beautiful new projection screens. Luke uh, chapter 14. I said 12. That was last week. Luke chapter uh, 14. But he said to him, this is Christ, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say, those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. We'll look at that in just a second. Here is Jesus inviting people. And how many people is he inviting? The scripture doesn't tell us, but it tells us. Uh, you can see it in these verses and following that the invitation is to many. There is a great banquet. There is something good. And guess what? A whole bunch of people are invited to it. Many are invited. One of the reasons I love our church is that we see that many are invited. That all are welcome. That nobody is perfect. That anything is possible. Jesus cares that people come. He wants you and I, as one pastor says, to invest in the lives of others and to invite them to the great banquet, to invite them to the feast, to invite them to the goodness of God. The psalmist declares, you hear me preach it often, taste and see that the Lord is good. This isn't just a dry, cognitive, doctrinal deal here that we have. You, I welcome you to check my doctrine. Acts 17, 11. Uh, these were more noble. This church was more noble than those in Thessalonica. For they eagerly searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. You ought to do that. Every time I or someone preaches here or anywhere, man, go make sure we're preaching correct doctrine. But he cares that we taste and that we see, that we experience the banquet, the feast that God has for us. Verses um, 18 and 19. 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please what? Have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Well, put on your big boy pants, get a spine and come on. Well, I just added that part. But if, if, if he would keep going in this uh, story, I'm sure the dog would have eaten the homework, right? I mean, this is just a series of excuses. And the servant who was sent out for the master to invite the many people realizes that people, imagine this, people make excuses. Lame or not, we have excuses. Next verse, Luke 14. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. What did he report to the master? 
that people, a lot of folks weren't coming. They, they were making excuses. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring, listen to this church, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. I love the church of Jesus Christ because of who's invited. Can I say that again? Man, I love it. Look, we've gotten it wrong a lot. We, we've gotten things wrong here, and, and we very well could continue to. But I love the, the idea, this version, this, this noble star that we, uh, that we navigate toward. Everybody is welcome. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. People that don't have much, in other words. People that can't see, they don't have vision. People that uh, other people maybe make fun of. People that can't find their way, that can't get from point A to point B. People that need help. And let's translate that. Who does that mean really? You. It means you and it means me. It means all of us. But it means everyone who sees their need. Ultimately, it's only a, 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 a compelling invitation if you and I see our need for the gospel. Uh, some of you were around when we were at Dueling Hall when we preached a sermon series called Sermon. We looked at the most compelling sermon ever preached, the, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus starts that amazing sermon off by saying, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They, they're poor and crippled and lame and blind. They know that they need a savior. Backing up a little bit, not so much in this verse, but uh, relating to the one who taught in this verse. There is a city in biblical times, uh, in our time as well, it's uh, Caesarea of Philippi. And it's a, a famous place. It's famous in the sense of it's the place where Jesus asked the most important question that could ever be asked Who do you say that I am? Now, do you know in that uh, passes. I'm not even going to give you the reference, just the geography, but who did, who did uh, ask that question to? Do you know? Peter. Who do you say that I am? There's no more important question that you and I could answer. That's, that's more important than who won last night. Who's going to win at the end of the year? Uh, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Son of God, the risen Lord and Savior. Three weeks ago, John, who's sitting right back there, now John's awake, isn't he? John, John uttered that after Walter Donald did right there in the water. A couple of weeks ago, Anna Catherine Stewart uttered that declaration of who Christ is, the Son of God, the risen Lord and Savior. Um, last week, Michael Wilkerson, from the same water, made the same declaration before us, his church family, who Jesus is. And Caesarea Philippi, I want you to hear this was sort of the, I would consider it the, the Walmart, the super Walmart of the pagan region. And at that time, it was, I mean, it was, uh, there was a god, uh, a deity uh, that they, uh, they summoned, Panion, that's P-A-N-E-O-N. Panion was a god that they, that they worshipped. There was uh, uh, idols and graven images. And there was a cave. You can see this cave 
uh, today. It's been cleaned up, uh, thankfully, but it, it's a, a, an 800-foot drop-off with a stream that flows through it. And at the time, uh, the people, the masses of people in Caesarea Philippi, they, uh, they saw that as kind of the gateway to the underground world. It was literally the gateway to hell. I don't know what community you're from, but you probably, especially in Mississippi, you have a sign that says, welcome to blank, uh, home of the whatever, or, I mean, there's some tagline, but uh, welcome to Caesarea Philippi, welcome to the gates of hell. I mean, that's the way it was viewed, and, and these people, uh, if you get a little queasy and carsick, you may want to check out for the next 18 seconds, but what happened there is there, there was, there was um, prostitution. The people would prostitute themselves to some gods for, for help and for healing, to return to the city. Uh, they would uh, have sex with, with goats. That's the very word, a panty on. And they would um, roast babies and have them buried in that, that cave, in that sea, that stream that went under. Geographically, this city is seven miles. It's, well, let me say this. Geographically, it's at the northern tip of Israel. It's on the border of, of modern-day Syria. And what's interesting is when Jesus went somewhere, he purposed to go there. And Jesus had to walk way out of his way to get to this city. It, it was a seven-day walk for Jesus and his disciples. But he went there to a place that seemed... Uh, the most pagan of all places, the morally reprobate and geographically going way out of his way, he, he went there. It's one of the very reasons that it was said about Jesus, and it wasn't a compliment, it was said that he welcomes sinners. And that welcome is a rich word in the original Greek language. Uh, he wasn't marginal towards sinners. He welcomed sinners. They were loved and included and accepted and welcomed to him. It was an insult, but Jesus, check it out if you're too religious, Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. To get personal for a minute, hopefully not awkward, there's a woman uh, in our church. An adult woman who is connected to one of our groups and she's beginning to share her story. And part of what she feels God has called her to in this in Jackson community is to minister to strippers. Now, what I love about our church, one of the reasons I love Fondren Church is that's not terribly scandalous to most of us, right? I can't think of anybody uh, in leadership here that that's scandalous toward. I've shared it with you before just on my own study on this topic of sex that, that, that women who've come out of the sex industry, pornography and prostitution and stripping, that they've studied them and their psyche is like that of prisoners of war. And here's a woman saying, I want to minister to these women. Not a good idea if you're the pastor, right? I checked with my wife. She said No. But it's not scandalous in our church. But here's what I would say. It's different, isn't it? She's the only one that I know of right now. But why, why should it even be an aberration? I'm just saying if Jesus is going to go to... I mean, we've, we've cleaned it up a lot. We've really cleaned up the stories. But if Jesus is going to go to a place like Caesarea Philippi, and history clearly tells us of the grunge of it all, then why is it such an unusual thing to minister there? I love our church. I love the church. 
because of who's invited. Verse 22, there's my favorite phrase in this, this story of Jesus. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. And would you read this with me aloud? And still there is room. There is, there is still room. Don't you love it when someone makes room for you? When, when, not too long ago, man, there were some folks uh, taking some boats out. And they, they shot me a text and said, hey, man, we got room. There's, there's still room for you. You want to come with us? Man, I, that thrilled me. I didn't get left out. I got invited. There, there's room. Uh, one of our deacons, a great young friend of ours, he, he, he invited my son who wanted to go to the state game last night, but his dad didn't want to, couldn't go. But he said, hey, man, there's, there's still room. I got a ticket. I don't know if we have to pay John Pitts or not, but uh, we, 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 I, there's, there's still room. Do you want to you come with me? We got room for you. And as a church, let me say this. It's really important. That, and I just want to attack a really bad idea. Somebody once said that if we're not fortified by good ideas, we'll be victimized by bad ideas. And there could be a, a bad idea floating around the room is that the best churches right now are small churches. It's already gotten a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But here's what I want to tell you. Jesus likes a full house. And God has provided for our church. Now, just so some of you relax and you won't get up and leave now, the goal is not to be a bigger church. The goal is to see better people. But when the gospel goes forth, because this is a feast, it's a banquet, y'all. This is really good news. People are going to want to be involved in it. And if the gospel is being preached and lived out, then people, it, the scripture says, it's going to bear fruit and it's going to increase. And growth is not always a bad thing. Now, I don't want bloated bureaucracy. I don't want an executive order here. I don't want a cold and uncaring environment. But we have to accept the fact that the gospel says, let's invest in people and let's invite them to come to be a part of something good that's going on. There's room. There's room here. Some of you know this, but at Dueling Hall, there wasn't any more room. And me of little faith, I looked at our staff team. I didn't even take it to, to our real governing leadership body, to our elders. I just told our staff, I said, hey, we're putting a proposal together, and we're going to talk to our elders about it, and we're going to do this and do this. And, and there's no way that uh, this church next door is going to invite us in. But we're just gonna, So let's don't talk about it. Let's just put it together, four-page thing. Gary and I wrote it together, and let's throw it over there. Let's, let's hand deliver it. Let's, let's bring it by bonded courier to the folks at Woodland Hills. And let's just tell them, uh, you know, they've got some room, and we need room, and we'd be willing to, to pay and do this, and we might even be willing to renovate the building. And God has provided for us. He, he has given us room. He's given us room to grow and room to worship. And what I want to say is let's not be victimized by some bad ideas. Let's be fortified with good ones. Let's create room for people who want to know Jesus. Anybody with me on that one? I feel lonely up here right now, but don't you, don't you want to have some room? And don't you want people to come to the banquet? Man, I, I know a lot of you. I know a lot of you really well. And, and I'm a passionate person. I'm drawn to passionate people. I would say, not to exclude anybody, but some of my best friends are people that have great passion. I'm just drawn to that. And passionate people, when they taste something, when they go to something, when they find somebody, they tell you about it, don't they? 
And the way to validate, to authenticate the message of the gospel is us, for the, us to care and love for one another and to tell others. This is a basic bungee cord right here. And it's a simple thing with a simple truth. But this bungee cord right here is most helpful, it's most useful when what? When it's stretched. Now listen to me. It's most comfortable when it's not stretched. But it's most useful, most helpful when it's stretched. And the same thing is true of the church. Oh, we're, we're comfortable when we're not being stretched. We're very comfortable, right? Some of, some of you need to wake up right now. Just nudge somebody right next to you that probably needs to wake up. It, we're comfortable when we're not stretched. But we're useful. We're useful in, in God's hands when we're stretched. And as a church, that's the very thing. I believe that God wants us to do. Next, next week, Dr. Scott McLeod, one of our elders, is taking a team from Fondren Church to Matamoros, Mexico. Our church is stretching. They're stretching themselves to go to that. We're stretching ourselves to, to give money every month. We don't go every month, but every month we send money to this orphanage down in Mexico. And, and uh, once or twice a year, a team of our people go to, to minister there. We want to stretch ourselves. We want you to be involved in stretching yourselves. Last week, we didn't shrink back. We, we stood up here. Um, I, I like to say we, because I hope God was with me. But we talked about what God says um, about our resources. Uh, we looked at Luke 12 uh, and a really uh, a, a Wall Street workaholic who had gotten it all wrong, who never asked the question, uh, is there a heavenly portfolio? And I want to challenge you. I want you uh, to be stretched as we lay a hold of, of this church building and this phenomenal community. I mean, don't you love Fondren? I mean, come here Thursday night or the next Thursday night. Fondren, after five, Cheney's in church today. I know he'd want me to say this. Uh, Cheney's also giving away trucks to people. So I just want to mention Cheney's name. But uh, man, Fondren after five is a really good thing to see people in the community, to see the diversity and to see people coming together. And for us to be a church that's light and salt, that's gospel-centered right here is just what God has called us to. But let us not think it's about one or two people. It's us making sacrifices, us learning to be generous. In what way is God calling you to stretch and you are not being obedient? With your generosity, with your investments, with your time investment. Man, God wants to stretch us. He wants to use us. Back to the verse, the final verse, verse 23. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges. In other words, whole nother level here. We're not stopping, are we? Like this, this, this feast, this banquet, do you get it? Like it's a real, like go out there. Like you've gone out there and you, you came back with the people who have excuses. Then I sent you out and I told you about some people who might be more inclined, who really know they need the gospel. They just need to be invited. But now, man, go way out there. This is really, you compel people, what, that my house may be filled. Can I say it this morning? Jesus loves a full house. I know I say that at the risk of being misunderstood. A couple of my younger kids are enjoying Full House on Nickelodeon, a show that I used to watch back in the day, right? Well, Jesus loves a full house, and he wants us to invest in others, to create room, to stretch ourselves so that people come to the feast, so that people can know the liberation that he brings.
some uh, Peanuts cartoon fans probably in the room. There's this one scene from so many years ago where um, Lucy comes in and Linus is watching TV and she demands that he uh, change the channel so she can watch what she wants. And he, he says to her, Lucy, what, what, who gives you the right to come in here and demand what you want? And Lucy sticks out her hand and she says, hey, you see this? These five fingers individually, they're not much. But when I clench them together in a single unit, they become a terrible force to be reckoned with. And the next caption on the cartoon, you see Linus walking out with his head down. He changes the channel, walks out, and he's looking down at his own hand, and he says, why can't you guys get to organize like that? <laughs> you know, as a church, the call for us is to get together. And I wonder if, if you said today, hey, I want to be stretched for the kingdom. And if you said it, and you said it, and we said it together, and God began to do a work. Because here's what I know. Our church hadn't been that organized. Uh, mainly because I'm the leader, and I'm not really that good, right? If I have to administrate this church, it's dying. And, and so we, we're making some moves with our, our staff team to put the right people in the right place, to bring on an executive pastor to get more organized. And all those things are needed and helpful. Man, I want you to hear me say it. But the church, when we come together, as in Acts, it says in Acts that they waited before they became his witnesses into the uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, that they waited as they were told, and they waited. And the scripture tells us, uh, don't freak out on me here, but the scripture tells us that there was this, uh, there were tongues of fire that descended on them, and there was this mighty rushing wind, and the tongues of fire, I'll just break it down real simply, the tongues of fire was God's power, and the, the mighty rushing wind was his mystery. And we need both as a church. We need to to wait on God and come together and we need him to touch us we need him to work in us we need him to stir it up I'll be honest sometimes I grow weary because I'm trying to manufacture things myself and when I do that I see how weak and anemic and impotent I am I need God's spirit to work in my own life and in my family and in our church family. We need to wait on him. And I pray that our church would be known as a coming together of both power and mystery. That one or a few of us wouldn't get a lot of credit. That, that we would give the credit to God. I've told some of you, when we get up there on the other side, we're not going to talk about Fondry Church. We're going to talk about Jesus. But I love our church. I love the potential. And I love what God is doing. We're going to close this morning by doing what we do on the, the final Sunday of every month. We're going to come around the communion table. It's the, this table represents, as we'll say in a moment, and, and will be told to you as you approach the table, everyone who comes with a willing heart. You will hear from one of our leaders, and they'll say, this is the, the body of Christ broken for you. That's what the bread symbolizes. And the juice in the cup, it symbolizes Christ's blood shed for you. It, it's an intermingling of the awfulness of your sin and mine, and the awfulness of Jesus' death on one hand, and the awesomeness of his grace and his power in forgiving us. Jesus said, there's room in my house. There's room in my house for anybody and everybody. And if you say today, 
Well, man, I've committed adultery. There's still room for you. I've been divorced multiple times. There's still room for you. I've been in prison. There's still room for you. I'm an addict. I'm a user. There's still room for you. I'm a liar. There's still room for you. I'm a religious hypocrite. There's still room for you. Someone came up to me the other evening at a restaurant and said, hey, pastor, how you doing? And I said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? And he said, I'm, I'm back on. I'm back on. I fell off the wagon and I'm back on. And I want to say today, here's my heart this morning. In fact, I woke up with this. You know, there's, you've heard it said there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that get up and they, they love the morning. And then there are people who hate people who love the morning, right? Well, this morning I got up with this sense, man, I want to pastor for the rest of my days. And I'm not an old guy, but for the rest of my days, I want to pastor a church where someone can walk up to me at a restaurant and without any BS, they can just say, man, this is, this is where I'm at. I mean, what, what one person who was with me thought was ugly maybe and disruptive was maybe one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. Man, if Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, man, where ought we ought to go? And why are we not willing to stretch ourselves in amazing ways? Because I told you last week, I'm dropping this number a lot. I'm 47 now. I don't want to be comfortable for the rest of my day. I want to be useful in his hands. And I want to invite you into that as well. Don't be a passive spectator. Actively participate. Invest in this church. Financially and with your time and your attendance. And connect here. And pray that God's power and his mystery will be revealed. Here's what I learned this week. I close with this. I learned this week that when the astronauts went to the moon, I was alive. I was little bitty, little, little bitty. And I learned this week that the first astronauts, Americans who went to the moon, you know what they did? They put a, they put a flag down, an American flag. And you know what else they did? They took communion. How cool is that? And when we talk about the church and its global expression, man, the church is out of sight, literally out of sight. And people have worshipped Jesus. And what you're about to do, man, the astronauts have done this on the moon. Would you pray with me as our leaders make their way to the table? God, I pray this morning that if it's only one person or maybe ten or even more, That those who need to hear would hear. You say there's still room for you. And Lord, if we're overly religious, if we're concerned about saving our seed and having our comfort and getting into a routine and a habit here uh, to uh, become a self-preservation society, I pray that you uh, move us away from that. And just like the cord of this bungee rope, that we would be uh, willing for you to stretch us. And Lord, I would pray for your people, your church on this Labor Day weekend. 
Lord, would you be exalted? Would you receive uh, our worship now as we come to the table and we do the very thing that you said, do this in remembrance of me. That for your sheep-like, stubborn people who make messes with our own sin, who forget what you've said and what you've done and how you've lived, Lord, I pray as we come to the table that we would breathe in the fresh air of forgiveness. God, I know I need it. I confess that I, 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 at times I carry a weight for this church that I ought not to carry. Woke me up on this day to tell me that I need to wait and I need to receive your spirit in, in his power and the mystery that you have for us, Lord, because you've got grand plans for Fondren Church. Lord, we come to the table this morning. Receive the elements.